If you would make your way to Exodus chapter 19, we're going to be there for our time together. Here's an interesting question. Um, should you fear God or should you not fear God? We're gonna, I'm going to ask for a poll. How many here say we should fear the Lord? How many would say we shouldn't fear the Lord? Yeah, Tony? Randy? Perry's undecided. He's, okay, a little of both. He's trying to ride the fence. Um, okay, so uh, let's look at a couple verses here and maybe take a, a, a poll again. Uh, here's 1 John chapter five, uh, 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Okay, should we fear the Lord? Still think we should fear the Lord? Shouldn't fear the Lord. Did I switch anybody? There's some switching. Some people actually do listen to Scripture, right? But then Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We're out there trying to persuade men. I know what it's like to shudder in fear of the Lord. And that's because of that fear that I try to convince people. Okay, and that's not good enough. Let's try Jesus in Luke chapter 12. That's a lengthy reading. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. That would be people. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after the killing of the body, has the power to throw you into hell. Who's that? God. That's not the devil. Don't say that. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Stop right there. How many say we should fear the Lord? Tony, you still are a persistent, stubborn guy. How many say we shouldn't? Have I swayed anybody? Has anybody vacillated back and forth? Jesus says, fear him. I'm telling you, I tell you the truth, fear him. Are not five sparrows, he continues, sold for two pennies, and yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth many more than many sparrows. This is really confusing. Fear him, fear him, fear him, don't be afraid. There's something weird about this. This sounds very polar to me. Polar opposites, right? So what's the question, do you fear him or not? We're just going to leave the question there, and we're going to come to a narrative in Exodus chapter 19. The reading just done very well a few seconds ago uh, kind of describes where we left off the last time we were in Exodus 19 when uh, God rescued these people. There's no claim he has on the people yet. He's rescued them very graciously from slavery in Egypt. They've come out of slavery. Now they're at the foot of Mount Sinai where the whole thing started at the burning bush. And he says, okay, I've saved you now. You know who I am, the God who saved you. Now I want you to be in covenant with me. Moses gives him the offer of the covenant. And the people say, yeah, we'll do it. Okay, but before we start this, God says, I want to meet with you first. Let me describe the covenant to you, but I'm going to do this in person. And that's where we are in Exodus chapter 19, beginning verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you and may also believe you forever. I'm coming down to talk about this covenant in person. Most people today have this weird idea. They think a meeting with God would be a cool thing. You ask somebody, would you like to meet with God? Yeah, dude, that'd be really cool, right? Groovy-like. 
But when you think about this and when this happens in Scripture, it is so uncomfortable. People don't like it. No one ever asks for a repeat performance of God's appearance. It's like, okay, once I've seen it, I don't want this anymore. And I don't know what the Israelites were thinking when he said this. I'm not sure what was in their minds when they think that God's going to come. But Moses is starting to be prepared. So the next verse, it says, When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and get them ready. Now this means in order to meet with God, you've got to be ready. And he gives them three days to get ready. What kind of a meeting with somebody requires three days of preparation? That tells you how serious this is. The only kind of thing I know like that is like a colonoscopy, right? There's all these, pre, you know, these things and stuff. Most of us, just as we are, we kind of rush in at the last minute. We run by Terry Smith, we run by Paul, and we get in our pew, and then we do our time, and we rush back out, and nothing more has happened than sitting in a waiting room. But God says, guys, I'm coming down, and I want you to take three days to think about this. I want you to take three days to ponder what this is. I want you to prepare. I want you to clean your clothes. I want you to clean up your life. Abstain from any kind of sexual relations with your spouse. I want you to give full undivided attention to what's about to happen. This is crazy. And so he says, let me tell you about these preparations. He says, consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. And on that third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of everybody. Not only that, but there's limitations. There's certain things you can do and certain things you can't. Anybody who thinks that worship should be a free-for-all and do whatever you think, you should be able to do whatever your mind imagines for you to do, is full of baloney when it comes to Scripture. Anytime God comes down, there's limits to what you can do. And in fact, it's like this. I'll do exactly what God tells me, I'll follow those parameters, and I won't budge one inch from what He does. Listen to what He says. Put limits on the people. All around. Don't go up to the mountain. Don't touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain will be put to death. Now, this is interesting. You're not going to be put to death by the people of God. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned. No person is going to do it, but they'll be stoned or shot. Even if it's an animal that touches it, they will not live. Who's going to stone them and who's going to shoot them? God is. Out of nowhere, you're going to get these rocks are going to come out of nowhere and you're going to die for touching the mountain, right? Not only that, it says when the trumpet sounds with the long blast, who's going to blow that trumpet? It's not people. God or his angels or something are going to blow this trumpet and the, people, and the consecrated people will come and, they, and they've washed their garments. So, right? And they shall come to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. They washed their garments. They said, said to the people, be ready on the third day. Don't go near a woman. You just spend time meditating on what's about to happen. If we did this, you'd have to start preparing for Sunday on Friday. You'd have to start thinking about what we're going to do on Sunday when the Lord meets with us. That's the kind of seriousness this is, right? On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and there were lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, very loud trumpet blasts. All the people in the camp trembled. They were terrified. I'd say they were scared stiff, but they weren't. They were trembling. They were shaking. Then Moses brought the people out from the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. I guarantee you they didn't cross the line. I guarantee you they didn't touch that mountain. These people 
God was getting his bluff in, and he'll tell us that shortly. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it with fire, and the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. The whole mountain started shaking, and this was not like smokiness haze, like smoky mountains. This was a furnace billowing smoke because God, when he makes an appearance, appears in smoke and fire. Why? To obscure the view of himself so that it doesn't destroy the people who see him. He's protecting people. You remember the Mount of Transfiguration? And a cloud enveloped them. God says, you can't see me. You can't see me and live, so I'm protecting you with this smoke. And so here it is. God comes down and makes an appearance. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, as God got closer and closer, you heard this trumpet. Who's blowing it? The angels? God? I don't know. But the closer he comes to the people, the louder the trumpet gets, and people are very conscious. And I guarantee you there are puddles around people right here. It doesn't say that in the text. But I guarantee you on the ground there were puddles. It would be terrifying. This is what the word awesome means you've never eaten an awesome pizza church you've never been to an awesome movie before this is the definition of awesome it's terrifying and you say god i don't want to ever experience this again that's why i say be careful how you use the word michael um God answered in thunder, and he met with Moses, right? And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai. Here's the weirdest thing, okay? You've got all these preparations being made. You've got the limits set, and then you've got God saying, go back down and tell him again not to come up here. The Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. Moses went up, and the Lord said, go down and warn him. Don't come rushing up here. And Moses is saying, are you kidding me, God? They're not rushing up here. They're down there scared stiff. I don't need to tell them anything. They're doing exactly what you told them, and God says, go back and tell them again. He goes back up and he comes back up and he goes back and he tells him again. He repeats this three times. Do you get the idea God's saying I'm serious about what I'm talking about here? I want you to know this is serious business. Even the priests come near to consecrate themselves. Tell them not to come up here. And Moses says, the people can't come up Mount Sinai. You yourself warned us saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate. And the Lord said to him, go down and, d- and tell him not to come up anyway. He is serious. He's getting his bluff. This sounds like a teacher on the first day of school with those rotten elementary students. I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm getting my bluff in. But I, I think God's pretty serious. And he goes back and he tells them, this is what it's like when God comes to meet with his people. In Exodus 19. Now, you know the rest, you know the second part of the story? The Ten Commandments start coming in chapter 20. But I want to skip the Ten Commandments just for now, and I want you to come to the end of the Ten Commandments. Now, God, this is the only time God actually speaks to the people like this. In all the Old Testament, God does not speak directly to the people except Acts 20. The content of Acts 20 is straight from the mouth of God. They're hearing it from the mountain. I don't know if it sounds like thunder and it sounds like shaking. I don't know what it sounds like, but that's the only time they hear God speak because of what they say afterwards. So join me in chapter 20, verse 16. Or is that verse 18? I can't even see that. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. You think it'd be cool to get close to God? They don't think so. They said to Moses, you speak to us, we will listen. Don't let God ever speak to us again or we'll die. 
and God didn't. He used Moses as a mediator, and for the rest of the time of the history, he gets, he's, he's, has difficulty getting his people's attention. I think the greatest mistake that's made in the Old Testament is God stops talking to them face-to-face like this because they need a little fear of God in them, and they lose it when God doesn't speak to them face-to-face. Weird. And that's when Moses brings up the question that we started off with tonight. Do not fear, for God has come to test you. You know why he came like this? In all his power, or at least in some of his power on this mountain, to test you. And then he said that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The reason he came like this is to get your attention and to get you to understand and to have an impact on you about who you're messing with here. And he says he wants to strike the fear of himself in you so that you won't sin. Here's the correlation. Sustain the fear, you'll restrain the sin. If you sustain your fear of God, you will restrain your sin because you know who you're messing with. If you lose the fear of God, you will go light on sin. And tell me that's not the history of humanity, even the church. We lose out, and we lower, we become very casual with God, we call him our buddy and our pal. And suddenly our view of sin is lightened up and it's no big deal when we do sin. God wants to set it up right now. He wants to strike the fear of himself in you. And by doing that, you'll restrain your sin. It's a great one. Sustain the fear, restrain the sin. And so you have here the interesting thing. Do not fear, right? For God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you. Isn't that weird? Don't be afraid. God came so that you would... Fear him. Don't be afraid. God's come so that you'll fear him. What in the world is this? This is Luke 12 where Jesus says out of both sides of his mouth, don't fear God, but be, don't be afraid of him, but fear him. That's a weird thing. Now we're going to pause right there and go to Hebrews chapter 12. You'll see it on the screen because this passage and this story and this incident we just went over is described again in Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 18 through 21, he describes what happens up there. You've not come to that mountain that can be touched, that's blazing with fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, the sound of a trumpet, the voice of whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. You haven't had that experience. You New Testament believers have not had that experience. They couldn't endure it, and it was terrifying to them. Verse Verse 25 is what you have experienced. Right? No, it's in verse 22. You, instead of that great fear of Sinai, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels and festival, ga- festival, festival gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, to God, the judge of all men. You had a different experience. You had experience of the gracious God coming in the form of his son. He came to you in the form of his son. You had a different experience, but, he says, see that you don't refuse him who's speaking. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned him on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warned us from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he's promised, yet one more time, I will shake the earth and the heavens. 
And what he's saying is there's coming a day when he's going to shake everything one last time, and the things that cannot be shaken are the only things that will last. And he says the kingdom of God is the only thing that cannot be shaken. If you want to be in that time where when God shakes everything loose and everything that's loose falls into judgment, but everything that stays stable is sustained, you need to be in the kingdom of God. But notice the final word, therefore... Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is still a consuming fire. It's a different covenant, but it's the same God, and the same reverence and awe is due, even in New Testament believers. Do we fear the Lord or not? The best way to describe fear of the Lord is to turn to the book of Deuteronomy, and I want, to hear, I want you to hear these things. Fear of the Lord is not an emotion. It's not a shaking in your boots, right? In Deuteronomy 6, 24, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that He might preserve us alive as we are to this day. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6, So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and fearing Him. Deuteronomy 13, verse 4, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. You shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. And it shall be with Him. Deuteronomy 17, 19. He shall read it all the days of His life. He may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. Let me just give you a short circuit for this one. Fear of the Lord is a synonym for loving the Lord, which is a synonym for obeying the Lord. And he's just saying the more you teach people to obey the law of God, and if you will obey him, you will fear him. It's interesting. It's not the fear first, it's obedience first. Fear of the Lord means you obey him. Deuteronomy 28, 58. If you're not careful to do all the words of this law written in this book, that you may fear his glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God. And he continues this, but he's saying fear and obedience are the same thing. Assemble the people. This is what we're doing tonight, by the way, Deuteronomy 31, 13. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, be careful to do the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in this land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. When you listen to the words of God and you decide to obey Him, you are fearing the Lord. It's a posture. It's an attitude of submission. It's not a fear of shaking in your boots. But there's one last one. Deuteronomy 28, 58 and 59. And I think it puts fear and being afraid together. If you're not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear his glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, Afflictions severe and lasting, and sicknesses grievous and lasting. If you do not fear him, you will become afraid of him. So what in the world does this mean? You're driving down a highway. You've got your cruise set right at the, at the uh, uh, speed limit. You're going 65 miles an hour, and you're hitting cash. There's always a cop at cash. We know this, right? But you've got your speed limit at 65 it's set there. It's set there on your cruise control, and you're just going down the highway, and you see him coming. What do you do? 
How many of you hit your brakes anyway? Why? Respect. You're respecting by setting it at 65. That's what the speed limit is. You're not doing anything that's illegal. There's nothing he should stop you for. What are you afraid of? You shouldn't be. If you're going 75, you should hit it. Or better yet, just turn off the, remote, the, the cruise because then you won't tell him that you know that you've done this. Or whatever. You, it, it, there's any sort of ways. The idea is that there's no reason to be afraid of this guy if you're doing what you should. So when Moses is up on the, as, at the mountain and he says, guys, why are you afraid? Moses just walks up and down the mountain like it's no big deal. He's meeting with God and everybody else is terrified. Why is that? Moses knows it's okay. He's done everything God told him to. And if you do what God tells him to, you've got nothing to be afraid of. You're fearing the Lord. You're obeying. If you, here's the final word, right? If you fear the Lord, you never need to be afraid of the Lord. If you fear the Lord, you never need to be afraid of him. That's exactly what Jesus said. There was a little mysterious thing that happened in Kennet one of our first years when we got there. 1999, a guy holds up at the Super 8 Hotel. And, and Kennet is relatively new at that time. And these cops are serving a warrant on this guy. It's no real big deal. It's just kind of a, it's kind of a formality. But they go and they, they're trying to arrest this guy. And he's doing this standoff in Kennet, Missouri. Some guy in Kenneth doing a standoff at the hotel, and finally he kills himself. And everybody's like, what's the big deal? All we're doing is serving this warrant. It's not like you're, you, you've done anything so major that, that we're trying to take you in for life. It was really kind of confusing. When I was in Sykeston this past week, past couple in October, the guy said, did you, the guy I was staying with said, did you see what happened in this murder in Poke, this is in, uh, uh, what's the name of that place? Anyway, in southeast Missouri, there was a murder back in 1995. And that's this couple, nobody could ever solve it because this woman and her daughter were assaulted and killed for no reason whatsoever, and they never saw the end of the, the story. But now, some several years later, they got the end of the story. And here's how the rest of the story went. This guy who's from Paragould, Arkansas, was going around and he was randomly nailing houses, assaulting women, and killing them. Did this in this town, did this in Dyersburg, did this in Memphis, did this in South Carolina. And it was weird, nobody drew any connection, and this was before the whole DNA thing started getting going. Now that the, all this sophisticated DNA stuff started, they, they went back and retried all these, and it's the same DNA in every one of these houses. It was this guy in Paragould, Arkansas, who was just traveling around, and he would just randomly go in and kill people. It was the guy who in 1999 got holed up in a hotel in Kennett, and while the police officers thought that they were serving a regular kind of warrant that was no big deal, they were actually approaching a guy who was a serial killer, and I guess he thought they knew. So he just did the deed and shot himself. And now, 20 years later, finally the pieces are put together, and this guy was this serial killer. Now here's the thing with us. If we'll just be a group of people who hear the words of the Lord and we respect them, and out of all for what God has done for us and the power that he holds and the fact that he holds judgment in his hands, if out of that reason we will read those words and obey them, there's never any reason for us to be afraid 
of our God. But, if you choose to fudge on that some, if you choose to just kind of randomly to say, I'm going to follow some and not follow others, you have lost the fear of the Lord. You're not obeying Him anymore. And you have every reason to be afraid. So you can choose how you want to live. You can choose to be a person who fears the Lord, which means you have a posture of respect and obedience that when God says something, I say, I'm going to do this. And if you do that, you need never fear, be afraid of Him at all. But if you're a person who is debating constantly whether you're going to actually do what God tells you to do or not. That's not fear of the Lord. And because it's not, you need to be afraid. So really the question is, should you fear him or not? It really depends on you, doesn't it? It kind of depends on, are you obedient to him or not? Are you listening to his word and are you respecting his authority? Do you have an awe of God? Our God should be served with reverence, should be worshipped with awe because he is a consuming fire. A consuming fire, just like anything else. Fire is one of those symbols for God because it's perfect. If you keep the fire under control, fire's great. If you don't keep the fire under control and you don't honor its nature, you have what's happening in California. That's who our God is. He's made himself very controlled for us. He's made himself a, a deity who can, who's almighty, and yet we can relate to him and be in relationship with him with great freedom and boldness and confidence if we choose to obey him. But if we don't, be afraid. Be very afraid. So, are you afraid of God? Hope that you're not afraid, but that you just fear him. And may we nurture a great fear of him at Valley View, that always we handle the things of God while we do so with boldness and confidence because he gives us that. May we always do so with reverence and awe because our God, after all, is a consuming fire. And he always will be. He'll never be tamed. He'll never be domesticated. He'll always be one to strike awe and fear and respect in the eyes of the people who truly know him. If there's anyone here who, for whatever reason, you've never responded to the gospel, you don't, you don't realize the, the, the great blessing of God revealing himself to us and being in relationship with us, you're wasting a great opportunity because our God delights in a relationship with us, and he gives us permission to draw near. That fire is fine. It's very warming, and it's very wonderful for us as long as we keep our reverence. If there's anyone who needs to respond this evening, the invitation is open as we stand, as we sing.